0: Welcome to Traces and Swatches, simultaneous solo exhibitions by Elissa Pettibone and Karen Stomberg at Benell Street Art Center in Homer, Alaska. We're delighted to have um, you all with us in uh, Zoom space, and um, especially to have Elissa Pettibone down at Bennell Street Art Center this evening um, She'll be speaking with us uh, shortly, and um, we will um, welcome Karen as, as soon as she's able to join us. My name is Asia Freeman. I'm the Artistic Director of Benel Street Art Center. Benel is situated on the lands of Kaya Kayakinu, the traditional historic lands of the Nilchik village tribe, lands that have been sustainably stewarded for thousands of years since time immemorial by the indigenous people of this region. Chenan Chiknik, Kayana, thank you. We are committed to resisting colonialism by partnering with indigenous artists and supporting indigenous led practices. Our land acknowledgement is a living document which we offer with good intentions. It's not our intention to offend and we welcome feedback on how we can continue to improve our efforts on this journey. Please join me in welcoming Elisa Pettibone. She will speak first tonight from Nell Street Art Center. Elisa has been exploring historic and local dyes for over a decade, experimenting with plant-based dyes as an alternative to caustic dyes within the textile industry. Her experience with plant dyes started at the North House Folk School in Minnesota, throughout college at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, and professionally on the East Coast, primarily in Philadelphia and New York City, and now throughout Alaska. She has lectured, taught classes, and produced custom natural dyes or dye orders for corporations, designers, and artists. Her work is an investigation into the limitless spectrum of color that exists in our surrounding flora, welcome, Elissa.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for all of you, everyone, for coming and Asia for um, and Banal for this opportunity. Thank you.
0: Well, you're you're welcome, and um, we're quite honored to have you and Karen with us tonight. And so there you are at Banal, and um, I thought perhaps we could. Um, just start with a little um, tour of the space. We kind of came up with a, a little contraction so that folks can, can see the, the exhibit. Got... Sweep around. That's right. We've got Ulissa's computer on a ro- rotating stool. <laughs> and so as you come in through the door, you can see how Karen's work is on the right, and then we have an installation. Um, That's the east wall there, and then uh, an installation by Alyssa on part of the north wall. And if we continue to rotate, we can see um, one of the large panels. That's uh, crowberry, isn't it?
1: Yep, it's crowberry and
0: rhubarb. Yep. And then on the other north wall, uh, Karen's installation continues her her drawings and then on the west wall go ahead and swing us all the way to see the west wall there you go you can see a desk um, and then um, the installation of fabrics the dyed fabrics would you like to start us out with um an orientation to your work and um, this body of work through
1: screen share? Yes, yes, thank you. And um, again, everybody, thank you for coming. And Asia and everyone at FNL, thank you for um, working through this um, pandemic with Karen and I, and also thank you for pairing me with Karen. we're both um, kind of geeked out about um, botany and uh, it was a nice it was it was nice to, to learn and meet you Karen more through this process so um, thank you so um, my name is Alyssa. <laughs> Um I uh, I guess I'll just start a little bit more about Me, um, I grew up in Minnesota and um, uh, as Asia mentioned I went to the University of the Arts and studied industrial design and got kind of immersed in um, learning more about uh, I guess the process of textile um, manufacturing and how pretty much even organic textiles were still being dyed with primarily um, in our culture still with caustic um, dyes. Um, And I had a lot of experience doing dye work working for um, companies that we did color matching and, and kind of got exhausted by the, the process of using um, petroleum based dyes and um, learning more about the color, um, kind of just uh, and, and the organic, the chemistry that natural dyes have to your eyes visibly is a totally different experience for me um, and that's coming from somebody who's experienced color matching so I, I feel like there's just a really timeless quality to the dye um, and a, a more thoughtful holistic way of approaching um, creating color on a fiber. So um so after graduating college um, I was a uh, fortunate to get a small business grant to start a, um, a dye business doing alternative um, dyeing with uh, mostly historic based natural dyes. And um, with my colleague, we, um, we ran that for, for many years and I'm still kind of working, um, doing custom orders through this. Um, uh, I've worked doing uh, pro- projects big and small, some as big as um, urban outfitters and um, some as small as one pieces one-off pieces for um, uh, specific artists. Um, uh, This is one that's um, kind of been a wonderful one to work with here in Alaska. Um, uh, This was for Nzina Murari's show of relation. Um, So I I kind of have slowed down um, orders of just because of my interest has kind of um gone towards more local plants and also um small scaling down to kind of like doing more one-off kind of pieces um but I also like have a really big passion for um teaching these processes and so because I think because I'm a student um of this still I feel like Um, Every time I teach a class, whether it's just an indigo class or um, a shibori class with with, um, historic dye colors or local plants, I always learn something new. And the spectrum that I've seen and learned from um, is pretty limitless and is so exciting to me. So I think the whole... the process of it and all the experiments going into it like is kind of consistently been what feeds me to keep moving forward and trying new things with the dyes. Um, So I've learned a lot about indigo but I haven't learned very much as and still am quite a student and it's one introductory dye or it's one dye that's kind of introduced me to like really hardcore chemistry. And this is because it goes through a redox reaction. And I don't know if you've ever seen indigo, but it it starts out um, in an environment where it has no oxygen and it's like a yellow green color and it comes out and it oxidizes and it turns blue. And th- that process alone, it's been around for 6,000 years. I think it was like 6,000, dates back 6,000 years or something. And, um, and it's just so, so fascinating. It's kind of like sparked my um, interest in chemistry um, and and the work that that I have here now. Um, even though it's uh, not uh, a local plant, um, it is one that can be grown here in Alaska, and it is one that um, I was able to do an experiment with from grown plant material. Um, and I did grow it in Philadelphia when I lived there, and um, and I. And I've grown it here in Homer, and um, had some great luck with it. I was lucky to go to Japan um, and learn about uh, a, a little more hard hardcore <laughs> on, on indigo and nerding out on indigo and and how um, uh, how this has been passed down and and consistently used in in Japan, um, and also. The craft of it is something that um, I kind of keep, is always on my mind, the craft of, of making um, work that um, it, 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 tells, it tells a story in, in the process. And that's sort of like what, again, that's sort of the most exciting thing for me, uh, especially with the dyes. And the outcome, like the outcome's always kind of, the surprise of the outcome is so exciting. Um, the, these are just some samples from um, the experiments I did on the with the Japanese indigo that I grew here in Homer. Um, again, I, I'm still a student of learning this, but um, it's exciting to be able to grow the plant and utilize the plants that um, that we have access to or or to grow. But so, what really got kicks, me kick started with local plants, um, and and what's really kind of why i dove into this project um and i'll explain more but is is just abundance and i think um this is a project i did in philly um just to get me started with it was an invasive um plot and we were using the dyes from the from the plot that was just it had mugwort and goldenrod and um making dye out of abundant plant material is something that I always go by and it's, it's important to me not to harvest plants that um, are not abundant. And I think getting color from something that nobody cares about or nobody wants or or just something you just kind of look past, um, I think is like is such a magical thing to find out like a color, like a beautiful color that you'll get from something um, that you never thought was there. Um, so one plant um, here in Alaska doing starting to do experiments in Alaska, um, I found that fireweed was like a golden plant like so amazing so you can get yellow from it but you can also get this incredible like brown and black color and um, and I started doing experiments with that and then in some classes some some local dye plant um, workshops um, I, I kept kind of getting, Into more colors that made kind of surprising, shocking um, reactions. So, um, just just the thought, like a lot of people would might look at fire and be like, "Oh, that makes pink." But surprisingly, the chemistry isn't always aligned that way. And so, and sometimes it is. But for instance, this crazy-looking, kind of insane monster fireweed makes almost a black brown color and you would not think that but with certain additives it can make that color and I think that just that alone just kind of like blows my mind Um, same here this is alder leaves alder leaves make a pure black like it's kind of a crazy thing with with regular acid dyes you you can hardly get a black to be a pure black, but with alder leaves and iron um, as a pre-additive as a mordant, it's called a mordant, which is the additives I'll talk about. Um, that makes just black, and I just I was so amazed when I found this out, um, and from a class, and then I was like, this is, <laughs> I have to do like all of the plants in the Kenai area. This is like so exciting. Um, And so alder, uh, I love doing experiments on different fabrics too and also the technique of mark making is is really exciting to me when using different additives. So um, these are just some examples. This was a show I I had at um, the International Gallery of Contemporary Art in um, which I just did studies with um, different alder and iron um, processes. So that, like I said, the, that whole thought of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> every plant in the Kenai area could have so many different reactions. Um, I'm going to propose this and and I was so excited to be able to start this project and get accepted for um, for an exhibition here. So um, that's why I'm so thankful and and happy because I'm I may not have gone through with all of these experiments if if I hadn't um, you know gotten the, the exhibition or maybe I would have just it might have, it wouldn't have been as calculated I think and and I think it forced me to like make it like a like a really um, make better die records than I normally would so um, I'm thankful for that and so. Here's just an example, like, again, the color is not what you expect. These are just um, rose hips. I didn't really get the greatest reaction from rose hips, but they're such a beautiful color. Um, on, the, on the other hand, you might see like, I know peonies aren't local, but this was from a, a class I did um, not long ago. The, the color that I got from a peony, which is pink, actually reflected, um, what you see, and can you see my mouse? When it when I move the mouse.
0: Yes, we can see it.
1: Okay, um, so this pink was adding alkalinity, um, sorry, acidity to the bath of the peony. This blue color is when you add a um, a. a uh, alcohol, or sorry, when you make it um, more basic. So you raise the pH. So this I added a little extra washing soda. It turned a totally different color. And it's all based on, um, it's it's something called an anthocyanin dye. And this is common in a lot of plants. I notice it so much in a lot of the, the Kenai plants and I'll, and I'll explain more about that. One so here's one great example Um, lupin flowers which are purple give you this with just a regular um, uh, basic additive which a lot of dyers use aluminum sulfate which is also used in pickling it's like a um, pickling alum Um, this basic um, you know pre-soak in the alum and then in the pot of just the lupin flowers, you get like this seafoam green. And then on the other spectrum, when you add washing soda, it goes neon yellow. And then on the other spectrum, if you add like alkalinity or extra alum, you go blue. So there's three. Three of my pieces have those. There. Um, I'll sh- I'll show you um, in the clear slide of those three pieces, but. There's such drastically different colors. This brownish color, like golden brown color, is when you add when you soak it in iron before you um, soak it in the steeped tea of lupin flowers. So this spectrum of color from lupin was a really big shock for me. This this um, or in that summer, <laughs> twenty nineteen, and um, and it is so super exciting. Um, Same with the fireweed flowers. Um, I collected um, fireweed at different times of the year. So I collected um, young fireweed, and then I collected flowers of fireweed, and I got fairly different reactions with with the fireweed um, and iron. I got more of a purpley color, whereas in later in the season, I got more of a a gray color. With just the leaves, and then um, adding again, um, some trend. A trend that I found with all these experiments was that the um, all the yellows, every single yellow that I found came out of any plant. All the yellows, if I added alkalinity, if I raised the pH, it would get brighter. And so this happens with pretty much every plant I tried, and I don't know if that has to do with um, the soil or the, re- the reaction of, the, I, I don't know what, what about that makes it brighten, but um, I'd love to, if there's a chemist amongst you, I would love to learn that.
0: Alyssa, <laughs> hey, could you just shift your computer so that we see more of your installation behind you while we're oh. looking at Yeah, it, yeah. Just, it just turned slightly. Yes, a little more, a little more perfect. Thank you. Okay. Great.
1: Um so crowberries were another shock um, and I should note um all of these pieces here are were chosen because they specifically were um kind of exciting moments of of experimentation and and were all a shock to me in terms of. What they produced and they also produced such beautiful colors so the reason i chose all of these were based on the um the such crazy reactions um and one of those was crowberries so these these are an example there's a local um version here in in the kenai region um of a mordant or the additive like i said the pickling alum called club moss and it, where I found it, it was fairly abundant. Um, I don't know that much about its its abundance overall in the Kenai. I'd love to learn more about that. Um, but I did find that it had really comparable reactions to just your basic pickling alum. And I, finding that out is like a, a miracle. If I can, <laughs> if club moss is abundant and I can use that as a, as a regular additive, that's like that's like money for me. That's like, oh my gosh, I found this like magical thing that that not many other places have. So finding that out is very exciting. And I got with the with the um, crowberries, I did find that out. And I'd love to do more experiments with the club moss. Um, But I got really beautiful purples um, in general from the club moss. And then when iron was added to it, I got like bright that like second from the last one um, is like a iron and crowberries together. So the reaction with it was just very exciting to me. And um, here, okay, so here's just a good layout. I'll point them out. So these first three um, are uh, fireweed. So the first one was fireweed flowers and iron. And um, this next one that's yellow is um, young fireweed with, um, or no, not young fireweed. This one is just the whole plant, including the flowers, um, kind of mid-season. And this one is like just with the pickling alum, and I got like a bright yellow from it. And then this next one that's fireweed is um, uh, young fireweed leaves. So there's no flowers involved in this one. And iron. So this one and this one we're both using fireweed, um, but different parts of, or and iron, but with different parts of the plant. These next three are all made with lupin. So the first one is like a very faint blue, and um, and that's based on a, a different pH. So I, I think I added a little extra um, acidity, whereas this middle one was like a seafoam green. Um, I did nothing to. And then um, except add the alumin, aluminum sulfate or the alum. And then the third one is the um, lupin with iron. And then um, goldenrod, I found to have this most beautiful like forest green. Um, just with iron and then the alder is like like you'll have to come and see it in person it's like black (laughs) and that's just with alder and iron and something that's um, interesting to note about a lot of the plants is that they do have like um, a reaction a lot like an old-fashioned gall ink and that's because they have a high con the leaves have a high concentration of tannic acid so I found that a lot of Alaska plants have very high concentrations of tannic acid especially the fireweed and the alder and then the next two um again those are the crowberries um, so the first one was just the alum or no that's the club moss with the with the crowberry and then the iron in the crowberry and then the last one um was the scowler's willow which um was a plant um again i i i'm so thrilled to to be partnered with karen because we nerded out about plants and she actually collected a couple um varieties of plants um within her project as well um that we could both like do some looking into and i I got a really beautiful um like almost like pinkish red color from it i was pretty shocked by that um and to and for each each plant if you do come and visit the gallery um each each plant is underneath its corresponding um color. Um, and I think even the additive, the the um, the one piece, actually I didn't mention this piece, um, but that's crowberry with rhubarb as the um, initial additive. And so um, that made actually a really dark color because of the acid in the rhubarb. And then uh, my other, so my dye library wall, is um, starting from the left to the right um, was is time based on my experiments so starting here um, you can notice and I I don't know how this really happened but somehow all the ones at the end are brighter and I think it has to do with at the end of the season there's more tannic acid pulling out of certain plants and their reaction with iron just is really dark Um, so That's, that was pretty, it's pretty fun to put them all up in one place and see them together. Um, And these are, I think, pretty much most of the the experiments, but um, uh, if you wanted to take a look and you're in the gallery um, to see more about the technical side of things, um, they're in my little dye notebooks um, from the season. And that's 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 all I really have for you. I'm, again, thanks again for this opportunity. And it kind of s- sparked um, a project for for more learning, and I love learning. So, mm-hmm. thanks.
0: Thank you so much, Alyssa. That was a beautiful presentation. Would you take us back two slides um, to so that we can? Um, there we go. We can see Karen's. Um, one of two main walls um, upon which Fairbanks artist, Karen Stomberg is presently exhibiting. And we're so delighted to have Karen um, with us online. In just a moment, we'll switch out of this view and into um, a view of Karen at home while she speaks about her work. Karen, um, I've long admired, she's lived in Alaska for many, many years and she's taught and um, created work as a, a teaching artist, and um, a very active producer of art over many years in Alaska. And so it's with great pleasure that we welcome her to um, exhibit at the Nell Street Art Center for the first time. Thank you, Karen, and welcome. Let's switch out of your screen share, Elissa, and so we can... um, Perfect. Thank you. Brilliant. That was so nice. So Karen. Hi. Where are you? I'm just trying to find you. There you are. Brilliant. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) So glad to have you with us.
2: Now, what, uh, now I get to, I need to go to screen share, That's right? right. Now you can pop into screen share. Okay. I'm hitting the button.
0: Brilliant. Is that working? It sometimes takes a second to make that transition. I think you might need to double click on that screen share button. So maybe try one more time. There we go. Okay. Yes. And you can just, uh, yeah, you can just switch into the format, which um, in the lower left of your screen, you see three little boxes in a row and the one, the one that has what looks like a computer tower in it just to the left of normal view. There you go, that's the one we want to be in. Right. And you can All right. you might want to pop us to the beginning. There we are. Brilliant.
2: All right. Thank you so much for your help. <laughs> um it's so wonderful to be here. And um thank you, Asia, and thank you, Elisa Alyssa. Excuse me, I have a, a friend who has a name that's spelled the same and she says Alyssa. So um, it's been really, really wonderful. And we've been working on this since 19, 2019. And this is the first time I have shown in Homer and it's very exciting. Uh, Bunnell, um Street has always been a, a, one of my favorite galleries in the state. So this is wonderful. And I'm calling this show Traces and that's because At this point in my life and for the past five years I've really been um, looking intently and with much interest and um, focus on wild Alaska plants. Plants that I've loved ever since I've lived here and at this point I have time to really look at them. How do they work? And this little drawing, oh sorry I got there too fast. This is just a little sketch here of fireweed and This is kind of how most of my botanical art starts, is with sketches and drawings, trying to figure out how things work. And um, it's amazing how plants that have been so much a part of my life here, um, just, I have not had any understanding of how they reproduced. Or, you know, for instance, this fireweed, you can see if you pull up one of these fireweeds, you're going to get along this little rhizomous root, you're going to get several more. They're all connected. And it's kind of a nice metaphor for how things are really connected. Um, and so that's kind of why I called this traces in a way, because I've been really tracing for myself um, things that I've known, but really, really digging into it deeply. So um, in 2015, I started really looking carefully at Iris. I looked at it, the root in the virus, and I drew it and I picked everything apart and I cut everything apart and I watched and I watched and I just sat and drew and drew and drew and I made this six panel um, folding Japanese screen of these nine by twelve studies each page of this was a study and I learned so much I mean it was just a way for me to um, organize what I was learning and um, The result was this um, botanical drawing that has a lot of classic features in that it shows leaves from the top and from the underside. So in a traditional botanical um, drawing, the artist was usually trying to really uh, create a drawing that is um, very uh, identifiable, and so you wanted to have as many aspects of the morphology of the plant. So different stages of growth. So there's iris seeds coming out of some seed pods down there. You would never see all of this happening all at once, but sometimes maybe. Um, the top and bottom of the leaf, as I said, and then um, pods in different stages of growth and buds. So that was my, my first really f- full blown um, botanical drawing. And I'd been aware of herbariums and that there were specimens in the herbariums and I started looking online at the herbarium at the University of Alaska Museum and I was just fascinated that there were so many and there were so many beautiful beautiful things to me to my eye. They're all digitized now so all over the world there are millions and millions of specimens that have been collected, digitized and you can use them and find them. This one was collected by Carolyn Parker in 1995. And so it's not super old, 25 years old, but I was really, really attracted to the amount of color that's still left. Again, there's the traces there. It's very delicate. It's very, um, it's very transparent. And um, so those became a pair and I helped curate a show called, um, Arboreal Forest, which was writing and artists in mostly the Fairbanks area who were working with any kind of image of the boreal forest or pieces of the boreal forest and, um, crafted. So this is my first herbarium specimen that I drew and, um, that winter, I started thinking this is another one from a different show, but the winter after this, I started thinking about who it was that hunted plants in Alaska. How long had that been happening in Western science? And I found, you know, I found a list of, of people and just got really, really interested. And as um, as Alyssa would say, I geeked out on the history <laughs> on the history of who collected plants in Alaska and when, and who paid for it, you know, because I figured, why were they doing this? I mean, some of it was pure research, but, um, you know, I was just interested to sort of track the reasons for what was happening, why, why these were being collected. In the case of... Um, this one, which is also a University of Alaska Museum, this is Aconitum delphinifolium, and uh, Alyssa and I were talking about this earlier today because it's such a cool plant and it's so poisonous, and it's it's a cousin of the um, the delphiniums that we all love and have in our gardens, and but it has it is quite poisonous, but lovely, and you can see how the the collector has had to bend this to fit on the herbarium page. And I just love the way she did that. Again, this was a Carolyn Parker um, specimen that I drew. Um, A lot of the specimens at at the University of Alaska uh, Museum were collected by um, botanists, field workers, who were looking specimens, they were doing inventories of all the national lands, uh, in Alaska. So that's a lot. And I think they had a lot of fun doing it, you know, being out. And it was probably cold and wet a lot of the time, but we just, they collected, they have this whole picture, a snapshot of exactly what was where and exactly what date. And so that's pretty invaluable. Um, and the tissues right there too. So it provides kind of this, um, like a fossil, it it provides it the ability to collaborate, you know, through time. Um, so anyway, I, I was interested in the beauty of it, but also more and more I became interested in the stories that these told and then the people who collected them and the ways that they were collected and stored. Um, this is a wild iris specimen that was collected by the Harriman Alaska Expedition in 1899 and the Harriman Alaska expedition is really an interesting thing to me. Uh, they, they were the last of the large expeditions that were mapping and exploring and taking things from Alaska to bring back to Europe and Russia, um, to learn from and, um, to exploit. And, But Harriman was the last. The the very first of of these explorations was Vitus Bering, who came in 1741. And Stellar, who you may know from Stellar's Jays and Stellar's um, other marine mammals that are named after Stellar, but he went ashore on Kayak Island, which is down near Cordova, and he was only there for about six hours. But um, he did a lot in six hours, and that was the that was the beginning of that kind of exploration. And by the time Harriman um, and his ship, the Elder, steamed into Catchmack Bay um, in 1899, and they actually went all up the coast. You know, they went up the Inside Passage and mm-hmm. spent a lot of time around uh, Kodiak and went all the way over to Siberia and back, but they did spend one day in Kachemak Bay. But, and there were amazing people on this expedition. Um, John Muir was on this expedition and Curtis the photographer was on this expedition and many famous at that time, scientists, botanists of all stripes and financiers and people who are just interested, writers, artists, and They had all this time as they were traveling to talk about what they were seeing, and what they were seeing was the result, actually, of you know that 160 years of exploitation and um, and some pretty hard things that happened to people in Alaska, to resources in Alaska, and they wrote about it and they talked about it, and so that's pretty interesting. And to me, this this specimen that I drew is is very old. Um, And it's, you know, it's got, you can see its age, although it's been preserved pretty well in the Smithsonian Institute in the National Herbarium. And um, I think it's really beautiful. And one thing Alyssa talked about was color. And you can see traces of color from, you know, 150 years. It's pretty amazing. Some of the photos that I took of the actual specimen sheets show this almost iridescence. And I don't know what that is, but it's almost silvery. Um, And you know, and when I saw them for the first time, which was um, in 2016, I saw some of these specimens when I went to DC to, to draw these. And I just wondered what's happening chemically to it. What kind of changes were happening? So that's kind of the trajectory that my work, started taking. I just was so interested in seeing what these plants looked like that were kept, that were gathered in 1899, then were gathered in mid-century, and then what they looked like live. And so that started my first sort of inquiry and set of drawings. And then, um, I applied for a show to bring, um, to bring some work to Homer. And it turned out that that work was no longer available. And so um, Asia, it, you know, so we decided maybe I would do some new work, you know, based on CatchMec Bay. So I sort of reprised this first exhibit um, and for this for this show, which was very fun because it's it's different territory for me. It's very different from Fairbanks, where we just had about 18 inches of snow today, everybody. It's lovely. Um, this is actually the national herbarium and the specimen that you see sitting here on the table. Um, I saw, I was there this, it seems like five years ago, but it was only January, but it was, you know, before the great divide. (laughs) So, uh, when we could all, you know, move around a little more, but anyway, that particular specimen that's sitting on the table there, I drew, and this is it. This is a scholar's Willer, Willow, the one that was in the corner that Alyssa showed you that was next to her piece. And so this was collected in 1899. and um, in Halibut Cove, on, on one day all these collections were made, so it was July 21st, 1899. And, um, and then this is a close-up of my drawing. In those days they taped the specimens to the sheets. Now they're mostly glued or they have spray on glue, but I kind of like drawing the little pieces of tape in. And there's so many nuances in the color. It's it's really fun to create. I use um Fabric Castel, oil-based watercolor, I mean oil-based colored pencils. And the I, I just love how you can layer them. There, there may be thirty layers on some of these things, so that I can really get um, the kind. Anybody who works in oils knows about um, layering color. And this is the same scholar's willow that was willow that was collected. Um, there we go. It was 1962, and it was collected by two really famous guys in, uh, by Albert Little and um, Les Virick, and they wrote Alaska Trees and Shrubs. This came from the, the highway um, close to, uh, between Kenai and um, Portage. So, anyway, I just, part of the reason why I was attracted to this was just because it was so beautiful, and also because Albert Little and Les Virick picked it. Uh, you know, and and brought this specimen back to Fairbanks and put it in the museum. And they were both pretty amazing people. And so another thing that happened to me was I kept bird tracking and finding out more about what these, what the people were, do, who these people were, who you know had been collecting. And um, there's some pretty wonderful stories about how about the effect of collecting plants. Um, can have i mean less viric collected plants in um in point hope when the atomic energy commission decided that they wanted to bomb on natural harbor up there um in the early 60s and the university of alaska fairbanks um president wood thought that was a really great idea and so he sent a bunch of biologists you know he said okay you know i want you guys to go up there and you know do some studies and so they did but um and they did discover high amounts of radiation in the mosses that the caribou were eating and then the people in Point Hope were eating. And eventually it became a whole national issue. And so it, it was one of the first, you know, effective, they stopped it, you know, so it was one of the first really effective, you know, environmental actions. And so anyway, um, I know I'm digressing a lot, but it's it's interesting how these plants can and their Stories can be entry points for a lot of interesting things, and this is a live scholar's willow. Willow that came from a friend's property in Seldovia in 2019. A close up of that, and uh, Sitka Mountain ash, and um, a close up. This was this was collected in. Um, Halibut Cove, as well, in 1899. So this is a very old specimen, and I tend to really, really love the. I really love drawing these old specimens. I have to admit, this is um Mountain ash specimen from. Um, I'm happy. Somebody is sitting in front of what <laughs> my date there. Okay, so I think it was from about 1962. Um, the thing that's pretty fun is that, no, actually, it was for 1980. This has um, such a similar way of, uh, of composition. I mean, I'm drawing it the way that it was laid out on the specimen sheet. So that's why when I drew my own, I decided I would take the live plant and lay it out in a very similar way to that one. These are chocolate lilies. And i The first time I saw chocolate lilies was in Juneau and I was pretty amazed because I don't think I'd ever seen a brown and green flower. Um, they're just very, very cool, I think. Um, and there's something about some specimen sheets that seem so much like, um, they're so aesthetically pleasing to me. They remind me of, of Japanese prints and um, This is is one that really speaks to me that way. I love when I do these to really use the white space around them and I think it's the flatness too. Okay. Um, The little envelopes were for seeds and so the seeds would still be in there. Okay. And this one was collected in 2008. And I had had never really paid attention to what these bulbs are down there. I thought there was some kind of little rhizomes, but it wasn't until I saw, here we go. There they are. And here's the live one. And this one was collected in, in Seldovia as well. And that rhizome is really huge. And it's not really a rhizome. It's, um, it's these uh, little droplets kind of that are, it's huge too. That's almost maybe an inch, um, two inches in diameter. It's a, and they're very full and lush. And when I was reading um, Eric Haltane's book called Flora of Alaska, and he is really, he's a Swede and he was here from the thirties to the sixties. And he really is still the authority on Alaska plants. And He must have been talking to anthropologists too because he said that in prehistoric times this plant was used, the the bulbs that were used um, for the, they're full of sugar and starch and that um, they also could, were dried and pounded for flour. So um, I find that pretty interesting. And you can see that there's, here's the seed pod right here and then open seed pods. so and I bet everybody knows this one. This is a ground dogwood or bunchberry, and this was one that was collected in Halibut Cove in 1899. And um, I just think that it, bunchberries are one of the most, you know, lovely plants because they're all over the they're all over Alaska. They're so pleasing with their bright red berries and then there are bright red leaves and um i love to draw them so it's a close-up and this is one collected in 2003 And then this is Live Bunchberry, again, collected from a friend's property in Seldovia. Very fun to draw. I'm trying to see how we're doing time-wise. How are we doing time-wise? We have a few more minutes. Okay, well, I was just gonna flip through some of the drawings from 2018, from the Collected Treasures Uh, show that was, i made a book out of. So there's a another mid-century iris, a really long skinny iris. As you can see, it had to be folded over with a tiny head on the top. And again, just so fun to try to draw that translucent um, color. Bunchberry, again, And this actually was collected by Les Vieric in the 60s here in, in the Fairbanks area. And it just so reminds me of the whole carpet of roses that we get in the summertime underneath. You know, maybe with um, bright green horse tails and then, you know, just layers and layers of these. The whole forest um, will be covered with with these in bloom, with roses in bloom. This is Rosa escularis and uh, it's everywhere around Alaska, wild rose, and in our birch forests. This is an understory for, you know, probably a full month in the summer, let's say. And this is one of my favorite plants. It's really tiny. It's a little little pixie-like plant. It's called twin flower or Linnea borealis, and it was named after Linnaeus, Carl Linnaeus, who was the botanist. It's all over the circumpolar area, as most of the plants that I draw are found in the circumpolar region. Um, but this, this guy sends out these tendrils that are bright, bright green. This is an 1899 one, so it is a darker one. But it's, it's pretty amazing that a couple of the little, delicate little twin flowers lasted, you know, all of those years on this sheet. Um, but it's it's bright green and, and and dark green it sends out these bright green tendrils and then these little flowers pop up. And so you just get this really starry look um, on the forest floor with this Linnea borealis. And this is, a, as you can see, it's a fireweed that was bent in a very strange angle. Um, this particular one actually was taken from a site that's a, well, it's a long-term research um, site in in Fairbanks. And then bunch berries from Fairbanks are, it seems like the fair, the most bunch berries up here are not as tall as the ones that I saw in Seldovia and Picton, Seldovia. And this is just to, my, um, Part of my process is doing, doing these value studies called grisaille before I add color and then adding layers of color, layers and layers of color. And this work is really unlike most of the work that I've done for my whole life, except for drafting. <laughs> but it really suits me now. I've Once I learned how to do it and learned, it's very, very satisfying and um, takes a long time and is meditative, really. Um, and so I love the fact, I love all aspects of this, you know, tromping around and finding the plants, drawing plants. And um, so, oh, this, so most of my botanical drawings that you've been seeing are done purpose, purposefully in a sort of a flat and graphic style. And I'm really attracted to um, old botanical prints um that are engravings and they have a a certain unique look to them that I like a lot they're they're sort of flat and um have white space around them and they also I've already said that I really really like the Japanese aesthetic and Japanese woodcuts and so those inform my work as well but this is kind of botanical art that I can also do, and that I do sometimes, that is just, that has more, um, uh, more three-dimensionality to it. And so, but it's a choice, you know, that I've made to do those other ones that way.
0: So I think I'm about done here. (laughs) Beautiful, Karen. Thank you so much. What a lovely presentation. Could pop out of your screen share. Go ahead. Go ahead all righty all right marvelous all right. so i'm just going to put us on um the full room view and invite people to um, turn their cameras on and if anybody has a question of the artist you're most most welcome uh, karen or elissa you are both here with us
2: I have a, my, I'm have Elizabeth Cook from Fairbanks and I have a question for Karen what her medium is for uh, coloring. Is it watercolors or pencils or chalk or what? Well all of these are, are colored pencils. So it's colored pe- pencil on watercolor paper and um, I use an oil-based colored pencil because I can um, use them almost like oil paints. I can make um, layer upon layer with them Sometimes I use watercolor as a, as a base tone as well, but it's mostly colored pencil. Thank you. Yeah.
3: I have a question for you. Know what, I'm so glad
2: that you're, you're mentioning Haltain uh, because he and Les Vurick were such good chums and that book is weighs about 20 pounds, but it's <laughs> one you want to have in your backpack. <laughs> I know. It's it's wonderful. Hi Felicia. I see. Um right, and I actually have a, a broken wrist and I've been hauling that thing up and down the stairs while I <laughs> geeking out reading Haltane.
4: Yeah. Yes,
0: so do I. <laughs>
4: Hi, Karen. It's great to see you. And this is such a wonderful thing to get to watch after we really have been shoveling 18 inches of snow (laughs) today. And it's like, I've already been out three times and I've got to go out one more time before bed or I won't be ahead before I have to go to work at Northern Threads tomorrow. But, um, I'm a very amateur student of Karen's in her classes during winter master at UAF and so it's wonderful and so just, I have a, this is going to be a simple Simon question, but I noticed the coloring in your drawings is, do the specimens that are in the National herbarium? Um, er, am I saying that right? Um, her- herbarium. Herbarium. Those are so much darker. Is that just because over time that's the color they are when you draw them versus, you know, the um, ones that are more current or even the live ones obviously are going to be a brighter green, but they just seem so much more brown. Is that just because of time?
2: Well, it is because of time. and um, But they're really well cared for, amazingly well cared for. And they took really good care of them on shipboard, you know, they would have put them between two pieces of paper, folded it, and then put it in a press and pressed right. it, so that when they took them back, and they were able to mount them. And at the National Herbarium, they have a whole room of of people who are there wow. mounting and um, and sewing some things if they're too heavy, and yeah. laying things out. Um, and then they would they're kept completely in in the dark. I don't know if you've been in the museum basement.
4: I have. Uh, yeah. anyway, well, you mean just at
2: UAF I have, but not at a national place okay. at all. No, but, you know, so they're in rolling stacks, so they, they don't see any light. But um, some, some uh, specimens that I've seen that are from the, even the 80s and 90s, if they weren't handled properly, they're just brown, too, because they got too much air. They weren't okay. pressed quickly enough. But it's amazing how good the field scientists are taking things in yeah um,
4: yeah. it's great to see friendly faces i just i love (laughs) it and Alyssa, i don't know if i'm saying your name correctly your work is phenomenal and your whole dying library that you had hung on the wall there is it's just fascinating so thank you so much for sharing your craft with us today thank you
1: for listening and visiting
0: wonderful to have you all
3: this is Bonnie Dillard from Kodiak. I knew Hi, you. Bonnie. A, <laughs> an art teacher's group. But um, Alyssa and Karen both, I wanted to tell you, I've been experimenting with what's called eco prints, oh, where you take plants and lay them on paper and fabric, and you boil them when they're pressed between. And uh, it's fascinating to get those color impressions. So you've done that.
1: Yeah, it's pretty fun to, exp- I mean, it's so, just playing with it's, yeah. it's like, you're like, what? Why, where, where did that color come from? It's, and wow. it's the whole reveal. That's the, the best part. You're like, oh, <laughs> you take it out and you, or you open up the press. You're like, what?
3: Putting Iron pieces of iron in there and then um, boiling it. And it's just, yeah. So you've done that, the boiling.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've also tried another process of steaming it so that um, it doesn't leak, leach as much. So if you steam it, then it sometimes the full plant um, can show through, which is kind of cool because you can see a lot of detail that way too.
3: Okay, I just wondered if you guys had done that. I, I, I love to do that and then do a painting into it. So cool. That's awesome. I enjoyed both your presentations.
2: Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Alyssa, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, uh, (laughs) fabulous. (laughs) I was just so excited. I was just about buzzing out of my seat. I want to do some
1: (laughs) anyway. Yeah, same. I, I was, um, I guess I, it, seeing them all together, I really—if—if if anybody is in Homer or can come down to Homer at some point, um, it's really lovely to look at all three versions of her drawings of the of the um, span of the plant because it—it's it, just beautiful um, to like like you said the the pressing and the the greening like like the age of it, like really shows through in your drawings and it's just so beautiful to see them together. So um, I definitely encourage everybody to like come and like, when I was installing, I was like, I'm gonna spend like on my little breaks, I'm like, go look at one and then go back and then like, go look at another and like go back. (laughs) It's really nice. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's truly um, theatrical, the the way the works coexist in this space but also very, very subtle. And so I, I like that they are sort of listening to each other so well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to spend the evening with you all. Um, and, um, you know, just to be, to be gathered in these times. Really an honor to show your work here throughout the month of November, and just to let you all know, Bunnell is open Wednesday through Saturday, 11 to 5, and on um, Monday and Tuesday by appointment for vulnerable individuals. So come on in and check out the show if you can, and if you aren't able to and just would like somebody at the gallery to, to FaceTime or Zoom with you, again, to look at anything specific, we're really delighted to do that. Take care. (laughs) Okay. So much. Thank you so much. I love the stories involved, just the Harriman.